It's interesting, uh, I asked uh, Deborah to read the passage in a different way this morning. And uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's amazing to hear another language, isn't it? But without the help of at least a slide. Uh, um, those of you who don't know Spanish very well, the English on the slide really helped. But even then, we didn't know which verse she was in. At least I was like, I was confused too myself. Um, it's good to know another language, isn't it? It's good to know another language. And this is what was happening in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, verse 1 to 9. Uh, what was inconvenient as they struggled to understand one another and as they were dispersed, uh, God turned that dispersion into a blessing. And we'll learn about that today. We'll learn about that today. So... Um, let me pray before we begin as we uh, go into the passage. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we look to your word, may you, O oh God, be glorified. And may we be satisfied in you. And may we know, Lord, that you are God. And may you help us to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Tower of Babel, um, we should also call it a city as well, the city and the Tower of Babel uh, was something so unique in, in the scriptures. Um, nowhere else in the scripture does it talk about this specific um, goal that they had to build a tower that reached to the top of the heavens. Um, my question to you is, have you ever tried to accomplish a goal? And did you want to find other people around you to accomplish that goal? Wasn't it good to find one or two, three or five different people to help you accomplish that goal? And my other question would be, what would it look like to have unreserved power to accomplish that goal? Unreserved power, unbridled power, all the power in the world to accomplish that goal. And what would it look like to have both? Unity and power. Well, it would look kind of like in a utopian society, which I think the people in the Tower of Babel were trying to accomplish, desiring to reach the heavens. You see, the goal of this sermon is really to help you to understand the human heart. The human heart. The, the desire of unity and power. Unity and power. The big idea for this sermon, the next slide here, is this. You and I must relinquish our pursuit of glory and security so that God can transform us for his glory and for our good. You and I must relinquish our pursuit of glory and security so that God can transform us for his glory and for our good. You see, Babel was first mentioned in chapter 10, verse 10, as Pastor Ted preached in the 10th chapter of Genesis. Uh, beginning with Nimrod's kingdom in the land of Shinar, right? In chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord, a mighty hunter. He was a mighty man. He was a descendant of, of, of Ham, the son of Cush. And uh, after God had commanded 
Noah to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, there was a bit of a problem because Nimrod himself wanted to, 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 to establish the kingdom of, of Babel. He, and, and we don't know at that time what it looked like, but between chapter 10 and chapter 11, uh, we, there is a bit of a gap, meaning it, it's not sequential. Chapter 10 is speaking of generation after generation after generation. Chapter 10, verse 5, says, From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Japheth. And then the same thing in chapter 10, verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And so... The background of this is that chapter 11, verse 1, is actually talking about something that happened within the time of chapter 10. It didn't happen after chapter 10. Because chapter 11, verse 1, we'll look to that right now. Next slide here. Now the whole earth had one language, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. The first point of this message, or first observation, is that there was a unifying language. There was a unifying language. The one language, they had the same words. The word language really means lips in the Hebrew. Same words, like if I identify this as a piano, this is a piano, right? But how do I communicate that this is a piano? I have to say this is a piano, right? And so language and words need to come together, and language is a way to communicate. Words are uh, descriptive of what language is. And so therefore, language and words, they were all united. We don't know exactly what this language was, either Aramaic or Hebrew or another Semitic language. Um, we don't know exactly what this language was like, but they were of one language, one language. That's a great advantage, right? When, when you have the same language, you know how to, uh, how to communicate. I mean, some of you are IT or work in software or uh, do coding, and I'm, I'm sure you know, you, you communicate through the computer language. You're able to, to establish and, and start uh, a program because you write the code. It's a computer code. Without that code, without that kind of universal code language, it's hard for you to work together. In the same way, this is what happened back then. They were working specifically together. And, and the question to you is, is this a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that they actually were, um, were unified in their language. It's a good thing. But this leads me to this, my second point. They had unanimous purpose. Unanimous purpose. It says in verse 3 to verse 4, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over 
the earth, lest we be dispersed over the earth. I think it's also important for us to know that they wanted to uh, make brick and, and, and also put it together with tar. Butamin is tar. So the technological advances of their day was good. It was good for them to do this. It was good for them to build a city, right? What's wrong with building a city? That's good. What's wrong with building a tower? But the problem is really in their attitudes, their hearts. They said, here, come, let us, let us. It's funny, right? When whenever you say, come on, let us, let's, let's, go, let's go to the park. If you tell your kids, let's go to the park, right? They get excited. But if someone is like, you know, in a, an emergency situation, and you're like, no, let's go to the hospital. Let's go to the hospital. That's a different type of emphasis, right? Or if there's some, you know, some place that you really need to get to, and, and you're rushing to the airport, you're like, let's get to the airport. Let's get to the airport. And the Hebrew here, it actually means the, the latter. Let's go there. Let's do this. There's no other option. We need to do this. It, it, it was, it was a, a push. It was a, it was a push to do something that they really, 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 really wanted to do. They wanted to build this city. They wanted to build this city and they wanted to build this tower. And so... I think it's important for us to know that, you know, this city, this tower, um, was made for themselves. The word here, let us make a name, or the phrase here, let us make a name for ourselves, uh, is really interesting, right? The word let us make is the same word, asa, in the, Old Test- in the, in the Hebrew for when God made the heavens and the earth. Let's make. Let's create. You know, see, like, Adam and, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, and so were every, was everyone else who was born after that, made in the image of God to bear his image, to cultivate the land, to fill the land, and, 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 and to do something with their hands. I think that's important, right? Let's make. But what are they trying to make? They're trying to make a name for themselves. In another translation, let us, na- let us make for ourselves a name. Let me ask you a question. How helpful is that? If a community here, uh, like I say to you, okay, let's, let's do something for a community outwards, or let's try something for Hope Kids. Let's do something together. Let's help one another uh, by by, um, you know, just hearing each other's prayer requests and, and praying for one another. That makes sense, right? But the text here says, let us make a name for ourselves. That doesn't even make sense. Now, some of us might be thinking, well, that has to do with pride and everything. Yeah, it does. But practically, pragmatically, helpfully, it doesn't make any sense. Let us make for ourselves a name. What does that actually do for us? And, and notice, it doesn't say, let us, make, let us make for yourself a name or let us make my, for myself a name. It says, let us make for ourselves a name. 
whenever I talk about ourselves, when we talk about something that we can do together, I hope it's helpful. But it's not even helpful. <laughs> a name? What is that? Right? So this is, the, this is the only time it's mentioned in all of Scripture. Let us make ourselves a name. Let us make ourselves a name. If you could see in the next slide here, the action that they had, they built a city. They built a city, and the purpose was so that they would not be dispersed over the face of the earth. They built a city so that they wouldn't have to be dispersed so that they could have security. And the second thing is they built a tower reaching the heavens so that they could make themselves a name, a name for themselves, whatever that means. Does that make sense? They desired glory even though they didn't even know what that really meant. And they desired security. You see, this is where we as believers need to understand that the temptation at the Tower of Babel, uh, when they built the city and the tower because they had all this unity, the people came from the east to the land of Shinar and they were able to uh, build these bricks and, and put it together. They had the power to establish security. They had the power to establish glory and they wanted to do that so badly. Now the question I want to ask you is this, isn't security okay? Like some of us save and some of us, you know, do things in our family in order to provide for our families, to, to provide security, right? We live in a relatively secure country. We want security. What's wrong with that, right? The problem with it is, if you look back in chapter 9, verse 1, everyone turn there, it's not on the screen. What does it say in chapter 9, verse 1? And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. The whole purpose of God was not for them to stay in one area or go to Shinar, the plains, which is modern day in Iraq, just to, to, to just hang out there. Or to do something for themselves. God's command was for them to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. To be adventurers. To go out there. And I, I was just thinking of Star Trek all of a sudden. But anyways. But the whole point is that we, are, we, we were created to fill the earth, right? God didn't just call us to just... Uh, uh, just to be in one place, right? You see, Cain built a city and named it after his son, Genesis 4, verse 17. It's interesting, Cain himself being selfish, and even in his offering, he didn't give the first fruits of his offering to God. He also named Enoch, his son, after a city that he built. Hopefully my son will be, this is going to be a city named after my son. No one else did that. Well, not until this point where they wanted to make their name great. They wanted to make this place a place where they would be known. They would, their, their glory would be just shining through. That they would actually have this glory for themselves. 
In Daniel chapter 4, about a couple thousand years later, this is what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this came about, uh, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. Uh, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident, residence and for the glory of my majesty? This happened a couple thousand years after this incident. You see, people didn't learn. The, the earth, the world, people still pursued their own glory. And this is just one example, and I'm sure all of us have experienced this before, where we're pursuing our own glory. We're pursuing our own security apart from God. I, I think it's important for us to know that it's not just pursuing security in and of itself. That's not wrong. But if we're doing that apart from God, if we're doing that and saying, Lord, I do not need your security. I do not need your love. I do not need your care. All I need is, you fill in the blank. All I need is to glorify myself. All I need is glory. All I need is praise from other people. All I need is that to live my life. You see, that's, that was the attitude of King Nebuchadnezzar and also the people during the time of the Tower of Babel. Their greatest desire was to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be, they wanted to gather rather than to disperse. They wanted to build a tower so that they can make a name for themselves. I don't know. There's many different great builds in the in in the it, throughout the centuries, right? Builds of architecture reminiscent of the Tower of Babel, the Mayan and Egyptian pyramids, the towers in Asia, temples and places of wor worship in the East, the Great Colosseum, the Great Wall of China, Machu Picchu, Taj Mahal, the Blue Mosque, Chichen Itza in Mexico, Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, and in, in um, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, like all of these places that you would think, wow, they, they, built, they built something in order to magnify someone. They wanted to magnify their name. They wanted to make their mark. But here's the problem. The problem is that without God, they are, they are doomed to destruction. Without God, they will have absolutely no hope in this life. And in the same way, without God, we have no hope, even if we establish our own glory and our own security. And I'll prove that to you just in the next couple of points here in the next slide. The worldly glory and security, uh, there's so much that we, that we look to, so much that we try to find our security and our glory in. The first is just elevating oneself, proving oneself, elevating oneself at the expense of other people. 
You see, this is our natural state. It's our natural fallen state when we want to make ourselves look better or, you know, or sound better. I, I, I remember at even times when I was in Bible college and I'm trying to debate other people in, 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 the, in the classroom, I just wanted to sound better. I just want to sound smarter. I just wanted to make them know that I knew more. I don't want to elevate myself. It felt good. And so I continued to do it. And little do I know that God wanted me to humble myself before him. That his word is not to be conquered, but his word is to conquer me. God's word is not for me to just study as a textbook to say, oh, I know it and I'm going to tell other people. And those who are unbelievers, I feel sorry for them, they should, so they should know Jesus. And so once they get saved, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, good job. It's like the literal meaning of why we want to follow Jesus is that we actually are humbling ourselves before God. We should not elevate ourselves. The Bible tells us that I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. It is, it is a life of faith, not of proving myself. Second, comfort and ease. Utilitarianism. I don't know about you, but this phone, this technology, I preached a message about 20 years ago um, at a church that I was serving at, and I remember the iPhone, what, uh, four, or maybe even before that, the original iPhone came out. And I remember only a few people in the congregation had it. And I kind of made fun of it. I said, why do you guys look for, the, you know, such convenience and everything through this technology? This technology is just going to drag you down the wrong path and everything. That was years ago. Look at me now. I'm, with, I'm here with a phone, with the with convenience of all the things that I can do on this phone, right? With all the connectivity and the productivity and accessibility, which, by the way, is not necessarily wrong in and of itself. It's how I use it. And also not how I use it, but whether or not it controls me, Right? Like, literally, when you wake up in the morning, do you just want comfort and ease? Okay, let me, let me just ask Siri what this is or what the temperature is going to be outside. Oops, sorry. I, I, literally, Siri went on. <laughs> see? See what I mean? There's so much comfort. There's so much ease. Even in a congregation like this, you, like, this is distracting. Connectiv connectivity, convenience, accessibility. It becomes our God. It becomes what we worship. Even though you don't think that you're worshiping it, brothers and sisters, be very careful who you worship because it can be right in front of you. It could be right there. It could be just the convenience and the ease that we've gotten so used to. And may I also ex explain this? Entertainment. The fact that we're able to be entertained 24-7 and have the World Wide Web right in front of our fingertips and have whatever information we want, that in and of itself is so tempting because you know what? You do not need God. I do not need God. When you think about it, when we think about it, all the things that we have in this world are so convenient, so powerful, that literally, why would we need a God who do, we do not see? When everything that we want and everything that we want to have is right in front of us. 
So comfort and ease, utilitarianism. And then that leads into entitlement. Entitlement, I have to have this or I'm not happy. And happiness is the greatest thing in my life. Which, by the way, during the pandemic and post-pandemic, and I know there are true, real mental health issues, but majority of the time, the mental health issue is really our unhappiness and our discontentment. That is what leads so, so much often. So often we're looking for our serotonin levels and dopamine rushes to get to our head, and then somehow... For some reason, our cortisol levels are still very high. We're still stressed out. Why? Because of the very fact that we're constantly looking for a rush. We're constantly looking for pleasure. We're constantly looking for what is easy. We're constantly looking for... You see, this is our glory. This is our security. Brothers and sisters, we cannot look to those things. We feel entitled and that's why during the pandemic, I want to I just really just cause for us to reflect a little bit when the flights were canceled, when you couldn't cross the border, when you had to go into a restaurant or with, with, a, with a, a vaccine passport, when you had to do all these things, when you had to stay six feet apart, when you, had, you see, there's a lot of things. And whether you swing one way or the other regarding the health issue, that's not, that's not the reason for what I'm trying to, to make here. The, 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 the purpose of this point is that we have lost a lot of our convenience. We lost a lot of our convenience, our comforts. And that caused us to complain a lot. That caused us to really fall, some of us, and including myself, fall into some sort of a depression. Because like, why don't, can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I do this? But God in his sovereignty was trying to teach us that we were trying to seek for our own glory and for our comfort and our own security. Comparisons, coveting and pride. Coveting and pride. I think we see this all in social media. Um, when there's comparisons, I don't have it and aren't able to get it, I'll build it myself. I'll make sure that I get the fame and I want to be known. And, and you can see all this in the influencers, right? With the, the people on social media and Instagram. There's a lot of babbles out there. There's a lot of towers out there. And, and we're, we're just looking at them being built and we're like, wow. Newest billionaire. Wow, this person has this. And yet our heart lusts not to necessarily be like them, but to live in such a way that I can actually have security so that I can feel good about myself. You see, those influencers and all those types of people are not there just so that you can say, well, I'm going to be a billionaire one day. Yeah, tough. You know, I don't think so. You, you probably won't be. But the, but, the, but, the, but the temptation there is, is to pursue this security, this lifestyle, this, this way of life that becomes your glory, becomes my glory, becomes the things that we hope for rather than God himself. So we compare on social media. We compare with our friends and family members. We compare, you know, what trips that person went on versus the trips that I went on. And then there's also pride too, because sometimes when you say something, another person hears it, hears it, and you're like, well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to go do that. There's, there's just comparison. And also cancel culture, self-righteousness. You see, cancel culture is a way of saying, I'm right, you are wrong. 
I get to do, I, I get the glory. There's this kind of, this attitude of grandstanding, posturing, pandering, gaslighting. It's like, it's like cancel culture is, is building up your kingdom. And when someone else doesn't fit in that kingdom, guess what's going to happen? You're like, I'm going to cancel them. Now, granted, there are certain things in this world that you just really need to cancel. And you really got to say, hey, that's evil. That's not right. But then, is our opinion that important, that, that good, that somehow if someone, if someone comes into our circle or into our space and, and, and we start to disagree with them and they disagree with us, that you're like, oh, I just, I just don't want to talk to them anymore. I'm just going to cancel them on social media. You see, we, we have an attitude that we're always right. We have an attitude that we, we, we're building a kingdom of of I am right. And, and, and I think this is the greatest problem in our culture today, is that we are all way too self-righteous. Way too self-righteous. And then finally, materialism, greed, excess, selfishness. Whatever I can get a hold of, whatever I need to do to work my way up the ladder in order to get what I want to get. Greed is just the, another way of pursuing your own passions and desires. And we have so much excess too. Materialism isn't just getting what you want, it's keeping what you have. And not willing to give it away. And we live in a society that is just filled with that glory of you have more, keep it, and just keep getting more and more and more and more. You see, Jesus did not, he wasn't a hoarder. He wasn't a person who just constantly got things. In fact, he didn't have anything. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was a liquidator. He continued to, to use all of his energy and all of his resources to bless other people. That's the life of Jesus. And that's the, that's the life that we should live as well. So, do you want to be a follower of Nimrod? No, we do not want to be Nimrods, okay? That's a joke for those who are born before the 90s. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to elevate ourselves, pursue comfort and ease, compare with other people, have an attitude of cancel culture. We do not want to pursue materialism because this is the way the world tempts us to, to, to have this glory and security for ourselves. Instead, what should we do? Some people might say, well, it's for us to build the kingdom of God. We need to build God's kingdom, right? But nowhere in the Bible does it ever say to build God's kingdom. You can seek God's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We must seek his kingdom, Matthew six thirty three. The Gospels talk about entering the kingdom of God. Not all of you who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was more concerned not about what you can build, but who you seek and what your focus is on. That's the kingdom of the Lord. In the Gospels and in Acts, it talks about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. 
And then in the Pauline epistles, it says, neither drunkards nor thieves nor idolaters nor sexually immoral will inherit the kingdom of God. There's another word here, inherit. And the reason why it's so serious that none of these, and by the way, in the New Testament, if you look the word up, um, if you search the word inherit and kingdom of God, it's all negative. It's all like, if those, if you do these things, you will not inherit. If you are a participant in these and you continually do these things, you will not inherit. Why? Because inheritance has to do with family members. And if, and if you live this way, you are not part of the, you are not acting like you're part of the family of God. You are not acting in that way. So brothers and sisters, we do not want to pursue this worldly glory and security. Instead, we need to seek the kingdom of God. We need to know what it means to enter the kingdom of God. We need to proclaim the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign through Jesus Christ. And we need to know for sure and with certainty that we are, inheritor. we are, we are inheritors of the kingdom of, God, kingdom of God. We have an inheritance in him. The third point here is unrestrained power. Unrestrained power. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose will be now be impossible for them. So, so this is God. He comes down to the city. Now, it's interesting because they were trying to build a tower and they were building this tower and it's going all the way up. And, and then, and, and apparently God had to come all the way down through the clouds and everything and go all the way down because it just didn't reach heaven. Like, what a joke, right? <laughs> In essence, all of their efforts to build this tower, to build this city, it was just a joke. It was not the real thing. And so the Lord had to come down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. One people in one language. And, 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 and God recognizes that this is a good thing in the fact that they are one people in one language. But the other thing is that they are so powerful that they can do anything they wanted to do. And look what it says there. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose will, to do will now be impossible for them. The word they propose to do actually means planned or thought or devised, considering to do, usually in the negative sense. They propose to do something and plan to do something against the glory of God. They propose to do something for their own glory. The word impossible or the phrase impossible for them is the Hebrew basar, which means nothing will be restrained. They will not be isolated from one another. They, were, they will not be inaccessible. They will all be together. You see, I think God knew. And not only did he knew, know that all people were, that the pride and the glory, if they were going to continue down this road, that they would continue to go against God. They would continue to fall away from God. Not only did God know that, God had a plan to disperse them. God had a plan to disperse them. God knew their hearts. 
First Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9 says this. And you, Solomon, my son, know the Lord, the God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. This is such a warning. It's such a warning because the very Old Testament into the New Testament, the the greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. To search after God with all your heart. Because he understands your plans. He doesn't tell us not to have any plans. He tells us to seek him with our plans. He tells us to go to him with our plans. You see, the, when God came down and saw this, this amazing thing that they built, they, he saw the negative effects of that. That whatever they proposed to do, in a sense, away from God, would be impossible for them. They would just continue to go their way. They would continue to go their way. Let's remember what pride does to us. It says in Hebrews 3.13, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And in 1 Corinthians 10.12, it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. These are warnings for believers not to go away from God, to, to be steadfast and to look to Lord and to seek him with all your heart. The fourth point here is unraveling their goals. And here's um, the conclusion to this message. God unraveled their goals. He said, come, let us go down. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And just like when Deborah was reading, sometimes it's a little confusing. But just imagine this. Imagine them building Everyone having the same language. They were all saying, I'm going to build this tower for my glory, for my name, whatever that means. And then I'm going to do this and I'm going to find security in this big, great city. And all of a sudden, they're talking to one another and then they're like, they have no clue what they're saying. No clue what the other person is saying. That's very funny. (laughs) I think so. But it's also a reality of God's plan. Because it says in Revelation, which I'm going to get there, that every tongue and every nation, every people group will bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And that was God's plan all along. To to take something that was supposed to be good, their ingenuity, their passion for building and architecture, and, 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 and they turned it into evil for their own for their own sake. God turned that which the human heart had done for evil, and he turned it for good. He turned it for good. The word confuse here means compound, mix, confuse, mingle. Just imagine their, their, their confusion there. John Piper says this, God knows the immense potential of human beings created in his own image. And he has given them amazing liberty to exalt themselves and design their own security systems without trusting him. 
but there are limits. Thousands of languages around the world and thousands of different peoples limit the global aspirations of arrogant mankind. That is the purpose of God. It wasn't a curse. It was a blessing so that they wouldn't worship themselves. God stops us in our tracks so that we don't worship ourselves. The circumstances that you are going through and sometimes the difficulties and challenges that you're going through and by the Holy Spirit is revealing in your life that you need to stop in your tracks. That maybe you have been glorifying yourself and trying to find security. And that God is saying, no, 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 no more. I love you. And you were created to worship me. That's what the Lord wants. He wants you to worship him. He doesn't want you to worship anything else, anyone else. You see, Pastor Ted is going to, uh, on the next slide here, the slide after that, we've just gone through this part. The whole earth This is what you call a chiasm. The whole earth and all the earth. The whole earth had one language and they said, come let us build for our own glory, for our own security. But the Lord came down and then then he confused their language. So they began with one language and now they leave with multiple languages. And then God spreads them throughout the entire earth. That is God's plan. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the Lord, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He doesn't, God doesn't even say, I will make my own name great. Because his name is great already. But he blesses Abraham by saying, I will make your name great. And the reason why he made Abraham's name great is because he had this great promise of the Messiah to come through his line so that all the nations will be blessed through him. And that's why the promise of God and our understanding of his sovereignty and his providence is the very essence of our faith. If we do not have a view of God's sovereignty and his purpose in this world, we have nothing. We have ourselves, we have our own glory, we try to get our own security. But God has a great plan. He had a great plan to bless Abraham, to make him a great nation. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is the next slide here, 8 verse 10. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place and he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, out of Ur, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in, the, as, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Just imagine that. Constantly having to figure out where you're going. But he went towards, he went towards Canaan. He wanted to go towards the promised land. The land that God had promised him. Verse 10. For he was looking forward 
to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So ultimately, Abraham was not just looking. He wasn't looking for uh, just a land on earth. He was looking forward to heaven. He was seeking the kingdom of God. He was seeking the, the things of God. He wanted to enter into heaven. He wanted to be with the Lord. And that's why it leads me to Revelation 3 verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. The ultimate city of God is what we are looking for. We are not looking to build our own city here just to say we want to live here forever. We want to find security and somehow, some way, our life will turn out the way we want it to. No, we have a goal. We have a purpose in Christ Jesus that one day we will see him in the new Jerusalem and we will be with him. That's why God had to scatter everyone. To prove this very point, that there is no great Babel, there is no great city that can come in competition with the new Jerusalem, with the city of God. Revelation 5 verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open up some seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God and from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7 verse 9 to 10, After this I looked, and behold, and this is John here, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and saying and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb God's salvation is for the whole world Look at the languages represented in this room, the backgrounds in this room, the cultural and the ethnic backgrounds that we have represented in this place. What an opportunity to use our skills, our language, the language that we know, the language that we have that has been given to us for his glory. I want to glorify God. I don't want to use my skill, knowledge, money, resources to glorify man or to glorify and make much of the glory of the world or to even glorify myself, but I want to glorify God. And how do we glorify God? This is the very final point here. The gospel ministry it started us, it, we started in the Tower of Babel. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. And it begins with this, this great call, the great commission. That we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a mandate the reason why you speak your language or the place that you come from is not just so that you can keep it to yourself. There are people out there in the world that speak your language, that need to hear the gospel of the good news of the gospel. And that's the very purpose of God. 
Not for us to build Hope Church Mississauga just as it is here, speaking only English. Brothers and sisters, we got to take a risk. we got to do things out of faith, just like Abraham had to go out of Ur and go to a place he didn't go. He didn't know where he was going to go. God just called him out. And we need to do things in this church, not for our glory, not for the fact that we have a big sign, uh, you know, uh, on the 401 and people can see it, but, but, but it's for the glory of God. It's to make disciples. You know, that's why we have small groups, so that we can, we can study his word together, so that we can grow, so that we can multiply, so that we can help other people who do not know Christ to come into a relationship with him. That is God's glorious purpose for us. You see, Sunday, Sunday is the appetizer for the main course. Sunday's just the appetizer. You get, you're just getting started. Monday to Saturday should be the, the, the main course of you digging into God's word, feeding on his word, and then sharing it with other people. You should be so ready to, to, to tell other people about the hope that lies within you. And Sunday is also the warm-up for the workout. This is just the warm-up. The workout happens throughout the week when you're constantly exercising your spiritual muscles by, whereby you share the good news of the gospel. You help serve a community. You reach out. And that's, that's why we have the church it's not so that we can only gather, but we gather to scatter. And that is the very purpose of God. Sundaria and Sunny are now going to be sharing their testimonies. And we're going to pray for them. The powerful working of God in their lives. I'm going to pray. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into a time of listening to these testimonies, we know, oh Lord, that your plan and purpose, even though you confused the people back in the time of the Tower of Babel, your plan and purpose was to spread people across this globe so that, that Lord, your, your, your gospel will reach every part of the world the people of every tongue and every nation, every language and every ethnic group would be reached for your glory. And we have this privilege, we have this responsibility to witness and to share the good news of the gospel, to live our lives by faith and in your love. So Lord God, we thank you for these testimonies. We pray that it will bless our hearts in Jesus' name.